Good morning. Well, we're continuing with our Follow Me series this morning. If you missed Steve's introductory preach a couple of weeks ago, or Phil last week on the Bible and culture, I would just encourage you to download the King's app on your phone, and then you can listen to the podcast really easily, or you can go onto our website and pick them up. This is a series not to be missed. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about gender, singleness, marriage, same-sex attraction, sanctity of life, honoring the elderly. So they're hot topics that our culture has a lot to say about. And we're going to be looking about what the Bible says about these topics. So don't miss it any of the weeks. It's going to be really good. But this morning, we're looking at Jesus as Savior and Lord. And you'll notice on the slide that there's a question mark there. Because actually, if you think about it, those words, Savior and Lord, we don't really use them in our culture apart from in a religious setting. I mean, we don't really like to admit that we need saving, that we need helping. We would prefer a bit of self-help, not for a Savior to help us. And in our culture, we prefer to be consulted, mentored, advised, not asked to obey a Lord and Master. To put it in bake-off terms, we'd rather have Mary Berry's encouraging words than Paul Hollywood's piercing stare. We don't want to be told what to do, do we? You know, I'm really grateful that I have a sat-nav in my car because I'm one of those people that has no sense of direction. And uh, I quite easily used to get lost. I don't know any of you remember those days when you used to have to pull over to the side of the road and consult a map, you know. Or for me, sometimes if William was driving and I was meant to be the person reading the map, That didn't go too well either. Sometimes we would still get lost and there would be a little bit of tension in the car. You know that feeling. The great thing is with a sat-nav is that when you want to follow it, you can. Uh, But when you think you know a better route, you just switch it off and you follow that route. Or if you see there's there's some traffic ahead, you put the sat-nav on and you ask it to help you get round that trouble and come out the other side. You know, sometimes I think we treat Jesus a bit like that, as if he's an optional extra, that when we need direction, we will turn to him. But when we think we know our own route, we will just follow that. When we think there's trouble coming, we might ask him to save us, to rescue us. But most of the time, we want to stay in charge. But actually, Jesus wants to be in the driving seat of our lives. To be leader, to be boss, to be Lord. And that feels quite different from what our culture would expect. And so I'd like to look at some stories in the Gospels where we can see how people interacted with Jesus. And we'll find out how they uh, met with him as Savior and Lord. You know, the Gospels are a great place to start reading the Bible. If you've got a bit off track and you're not regularly reading the Bible, why not during this season 
pick up Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and read maybe a chapter a day and read the stories of Jesus, what he said, what he did, and engage with him and find out more about what it means to follow him. So right at the beginning in John chapter 1, we have John the Baptist, and he is preaching, he's telling people to repent, he's calling them to a radical lifestyle, because he says the, the Messiah is coming, and that there's someone coming who he isn't worthy to even untie his shoelaces. And one day, as the crowd is all round John on the banks of the River Jordan, John sees Jesus coming. And he makes a bold statement. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, for a moment, let's step back and think about that statement because most of us have heard it before, so it's familiar to us. But actually, that's pretty strange to call a person a lamb. I mean, you know, lambs, when you think about it, are cute, furry, but rather silly animals, aren't they? We don't have many of them in southeast London, so we probably don't know much about them, but we wouldn't really think that a man was like a lamb. To understand that, you've got to go back to the Jewish sacrificial system, because that was the way that they thought. That was how they connected with God. For us, I know we wouldn't really connect sacrificing a lamb and the spilling of its blood with dealing with the guilt and bad stuff that's in our heart. But for them, that was normal. The lamb was a substitute. The punishment that the person deserved for their sins was put on the lamb. The lamb was something perfect and valuable that was offered to God to show that you really wanted to be made right with him. It provided a public way to come into God's presence and be forgiven and clean so that you could worship him. And the death of the lamb spoke of the seriousness of sin and the need for forgiveness. Well, we may not do that, but in our culture, we are willing to sacrifice things for an aim, for something that we think is the most important thing. So often we will pay a lot of money to get a good education so that we can get our dream job. And we all know people who sacrifice their family to ambition or their health to an addiction of some kind. They sacrifice something in the now for something they want, something they idolize. In the Jewish system, they sacrificed the lamb, but their aim was to be forgiven by God. The trouble was that the effect of that sacrifice didn't last very long. And as people left the temple, I'm sure maybe they were driving their car along and someone cut them up. And before they knew it, they were angry and frustrated and proud and selfish and needing another sacrifice so that their sin could be dealt with. There was a need for a permanent sacrifice, a savior that could deal with sin once and for all. And that's what Jesus did. He came as a permanent, perfect sacrifice. He came as the Lamb of God. 
The book of Hebrews tells us all about that. It, it shows how the Old Testament sacrificial system was inadequate. And it pointed to Jesus, who was the perfect sacrifice. He fulfilled all the hopes and all the ritual of the Old Testament system. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And he willingly laid down his life. He allowed himself to be beaten and hung on a cross. He was killed so that we could be set free. As he died, the punishment that we deserve for our wrongdoing was put on him. And so through his death, we can have the opportunity to be made right with God have everything forgiven. Hebrews 10.10 says this, we have been made holy, made right with God through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, a perfect, permanent, all-encompassing sacrifice. Therefore, brothers and sisters, the writer of Hebrews goes on, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us, let us. And it goes on to talk about that things need to change in our lives. There has to be action that comes out of that. Because once we recognize the perfection and enormity of Jesus' sacrifice, the response is repentance and to ask for him to forgive us and then for our life to be completely transformed. Because this salvation, this savior, this sacrifice is too great, too costly, too perfect to leave my life unchanged. Let's meet someone who met Jesus and see whether their life was changed as they met a saviour. It's the rich young ruler. The story is in Mark 10, beginning at verse 17. The story is in all three Gospels. So we pick out that he is rich, he is young, he is a ruler, probably in the local synagogue. So he knew the law inside out. He had status and he was well thought of. And we read that he ran up to Jesus. There was an eagerness about him. He wanted to get in on the action. He wanted to meet Jesus. I think if it it was these days, he would have picked out his phone and said, can I have a selfie with you? He wanted to be able to say, I'd met Jesus. I've spoken to him. I know what he thinks. And so he says to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? Jesus sees where he's coming from. He sees by his clothes that he's a religious leader. So he reaches out to create common ground with him and talks to him about the commandments. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Jesus knew that he knew all the commandments. And the man says, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. 
I wonder at this stage what his tone of voice was. I mean, was he proud and actually he was saying, I've kept all those. I, I'm doing pretty well. I'm a, I'm a religious person. I've kept all the commandments. And actually he was saying to Jesus, I think I'm going to be okay. I think I will be saved because look what I'm doing. Or was there a tone of regret that actually he was saying, I've kept all those since I was a boy, but actually I'm not sure if it's enough. I'm not sure if that's going to save me. We don't know what his tone of voice is, but I wonder if you can identify with that, whether maybe you feel, actually, I'm not sure if I need a savior. I'm doing okay. I live a reasonable life. I haven't done anything bad. I think I'm okay. Or maybe you've been around church all your life and you've gone through the motions and actually in your heart you're saying, is this all it is? Is this enough? And there's no real relationship with you and Jesus as your personal savior. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I think this is one of the most precious verses in scripture. Because that's Jesus' response. He loves him. He knows everything about him. He sees into his heart. He knows the best and the worst about him. But he doesn't condemn him. He loves him. And he loves us. Right now, he sees into all our hearts. Knows what's going on in here and what's going on in there. And he loves us. His grace reaches out to us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus is drawing the young man to himself. He's extending grace to him right there. But you know, Jesus wasn't just full of grace. He was full of truth. And there's a moment now where he's going to bring truth to this young man. He says to him, one thing you lack, go Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He turned away. He went away sad because he had great wealth and he couldn't say yes to Jesus. In his heart, there was a plan B, that if all this religion thing didn't work out, he would just rely on his wealth, his status, his money. He'd claimed to keep all the commandments, and yet actually he didn't keep the first one, to love God with all your heart and all your strength and all your mind, because he kept that wealth in his heart. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that in your spiritual life. You've come close to Jesus, and then truth has come. And he's said something to you. You've read something in his word, and it's exposed that actually 
in your heart, there's something that stops you saying yes to Jesus. There's something that stops you following the loving Savior, Jesus. After this story, Jesus looks around at his disciples and says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Because Jesus is a savior and Lord. To inherit eternal life, to be saved, is going to involve him asking you to follow him and change your life in many ways, small ways, big ways, because he is Lord. He wants to be in the driver's seat of your life. I wonder if there's things that he's asked you to deal with. And they're still there. You still haven't said yes to him about them. And maybe even today, they're, they're immediately in your mind. Maybe he's calling you to forgive that person who hurt you badly. Or swallow your pride and say sorry to someone. Maybe he's calling you to get baptized. Or maybe he's asking you to live purely and deal with that relationship that sexual activity that isn't godly. Maybe he's saying to you, stop watching porn. Maybe he's saying to you, keep meeting together on a Sunday. Come along each Sunday. Worship. Use your gifts. Serve God in your community. I don't know what he might be asking of you. But I know that when Jesus asks something of us that seems hard... We need to remember that he's looking on us with love. He asks those things not to condemn us or not for us to earn our salvation, but just because he wants us to give him an unconditional yes, to put him in the driver's seat of our life. Paul knew all about that. In the New Testament, he gave up his status, his political power as a leading Pharisee. He risked his life many times to preach the gospel. And when he ended up in prison, he writes this in Philippians 3. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Being saved by this Savior, Jesus, is not always easy. But anything we are called to give up to follow him is worth it because he's worth it. He's worthy. He's Lord. Some of us have doubts and questions, don't we? And what ifs and how do I do that? And Thomas was a bit like that. Thomas was one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus. And there are a couple of incidents in the Gospels where we find out just a little bit about Thomas. So one is when Lazarus was taken ill and eventually died. And Jesus 
uh, waits before he goes to Lazarus. And he's talking to the disciples, saying that Lazarus has died. And Thomas is like, oh, well, why don't we all just go and die with him? There's something, you know, blunt and pessimistic in what he says. He just blurts it out. And then in the Last Supper, where Jesus is saying, I'm going to have to leave you. I'm going away. And what Jesus is actually saying is, I'm going to die. I'm going to go. I'm leaving you. And Thomas says, Lord, where are you going? We, we don't understand where you're going, so how could we follow you? He misunderstands things, but he has the courage to ask the questions and tell it like it is. So it's a real shame that Thomas misses out on one of the first uh, experiences of meeting the risen Lord after the resurrection. All the disciples are together in the, in the room except Thomas. And Jesus appears, and they see him. And afterwards, they tell Thomas all about it. You can imagine how irritating that would have been to miss that moment. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you've you know, been invited to a party or a wedding, and you decide not to go. And afterwards, you hear it was the most amazing party, great food, brilliant music, and you missed out. That's what happened to Thomas, but on a much larger, more important scale. I can imagine that he was probably a bit annoyed that he'd missed that moment and confused and wondering, is this really true? And so he says to the other disciples, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and my hand into his side where he was pierced, I will not believe. I think there's defiance in his tone of voice. I think there's probably doubt and hurt and disappointment. What about me? There's all those things. I wonder what your tone of voice is to Jesus. I wonder if you're waiting for him to prove himself to you in some way. Maybe you're waiting for a healing or a miracle or a proof. You're waiting for that relationship to settle down. You're waiting for a change in your finances. Is there something you're waiting for before you say yes to Jesus? Is there a hurt or a disappointment, a frustration that is stopping you trusting in him? For Thomas, that moment came where he, he saw things differently. It's a week later. He had to wait a whole week. He's with the disciples. They're all in the room together. And the doors are locked, but Jesus appears. He came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I think he's saying, calm down. It's okay. I'm here. And he goes straight up to Thomas. And I think he probably looked at Thomas and loved him too. And he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe 
Jesus reaches out to him with grace and with love. He doesn't condemn him for his doubts. He comes and meets him right there in his questions. That's why we do Alpha here, because we believe when people honestly come with their doubts and questions, Jesus will meet with them. And Thomas reacts in just a brilliant way. He just calls out, my Lord and my God. It's a brilliant declaration of faith. He just is saying yes, totally, to Jesus. It's not blasphemy calling Jesus God, because now he realizes he's risen from the dead. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And there's worship in this response, my Lord and my God. A commentator says the most outrageous doubter of the resurrection of Jesus utters the greatest confession of the Lord who rose from the dead. This is the climax of John's gospel. This is the right response to who Jesus is. And then Jesus said to him, blessed because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas put Jesus firmly in the driver's seat of his life. We don't really know exactly what happened to Thomas next because in the Acts of the Apostles, he is anonymous. He's just one of the 12. But we know that those 12 apostles, after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they baptized people in water. They went out preaching the good news on the streets, even though that meant death or imprisonment. He must have prioritized meeting with the disciples and gathering to worship every day. And I think he probably responded to the challenge to share any wealth he had because no one in that community went without. He lived a radical life of a disciple, following Jesus, following the risen Lord after that moment. But what about you here today? Have you recognized that Jesus loves you, that he died to save you? Or have you turned away from him because there's something you don't want to address? There's something you don't want to say yes to. Have you doubted him? Have you got questions? What is your tone of voice with him this morning? Who is in the driver's seat of your life? Is Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? You know, Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. That's countercultural, but that's what he calls us to, to obey him. You know, we're blessed that we live in a season of grace where we can accept his sacrifice, that if we repent and believe in him, he can save us and forgive us and become our Lord. Because there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will have to say, you are Lord, whether we want to or not. John, in his vision of heaven in Revelations 5, has a glimpse of Jesus as the risen Lord. He sees Jesus in all his glory, and he says this, Then I saw a lamb 
looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Jesus is Savior and Lord. Let's worship him now. Let's say yes to him and enthrall him as Lord and Savior in our lives now. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and we're going to lift our hearts and see Jesus as we worship.